a realtor prior to being in mortgages. So I've always been self-employed ever since I was 21. And I was selling new homes. A realtor, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, right? I wasn't sorry for a your loss. Just teasing. <laughs> the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Sherry Corbett. Sherry has been a mortgage broker for 13 years, based out of Durham. I met her probably five years ago, the first time, and she's really very clever marketer, was in the niche of divorce and separation at the time, and now has kind of pivoted and continued to grow her business. In this conversation, she talks about how jumping into the mortgage business, she went in with both feet, rented an office, partner financial advisor, how that didn't turn out exactly as she had planned, but there was lessons in it. She talks about how creating a no-go list has helped her grow her business. I asked her how to do that, and so she gives advice on how to gracefully say no to a client, like you know, making them mad and stuff or burning any bridges. And then finally, why attending a mortgage conference completely changed the trajectory of her business. It basically tripled her volume that next year. What happened to cause that? Before we jump into this episode, I wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, and submission platform. And it is very easy to use. From the borrower's perspective, it's intuitive. From the broker's perspective, it has smart docs. So as they're filling out the app, it knows what to ask for. The client can upload the documents. You can review them, give them a thumbs up, thumbs down. And then finally, it's connected to Lender Spotlight. So before you hit the submit button, you can actually look at the guidelines that the lender has. So you can be like, wait a second, this is probably gonna get a decline. It's probably gonna be a waste of time. Maybe I should look somewhere else or pick up the phone and call a BDM. Fantastic program, check out finmo.ca. In the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ruben Gorsh from Deeded on why a great closing matters. Check out this conversation I have with Sherry. Hey, Sherry, welcome to the show. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business. Yeah, so I was a realtor prior to being in mortgages. So I've always been self-employed ever since I was 21. And I was selling new homes. A realtor, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, right? I wasn't <laughs> sorry for a your loss. No, just teasing. <laughs> no, I was a new homes realtor. And I had a great success in it. I loved new homes. It was matching up the client with the product and, and you know, how does it match? And honestly, I was sick of working weekends and having a boss, which is your builder, and my mortgage broker from the site, from the last new home site I had, she's like, geez, you know, mortgages is very similar. It's again, client and product and matching them up. She goes, I think you'd be great at it. So it was a natural fit. I was never a resale realtor. I was always a, a new home sales realtor and it made a good fit to come over here. to. And how, So how long ago was that? 2008, I got my license. So okay. yeah. Nice. I'm just curious, would you switch from that to being a mortgage broker? Is there any point you questioned yourself or you thought like, ah, is this the right choice? Oh yeah. So I went in feet first. I got a storefront. I partnered with a life insurance agent. We opened up the doors before I even had one client. So my first year, my first T4A for my brokerage was $1,700. And my expenses were way more than that because I just went all in, but I stuck with it. I had a great support at home who just said, keep doing it. I thought that if you had to show up, you had to show up, you know, with the storefront and everything. COVID's obviously changed that. This is 13 years later. Yeah. But I don't regret what I did. But yeah, no, I jumped in both feet. You've always been a both feet kind of person, though. Ever since I've known you, you're kind of like, let's go. So, okay, the first year was kind of crazy. But then when did you turn the corner? I'm curious. When was it like, oh, you know, I got this. You know what happened was Wimmy, the Women in the Large yeah. Industry Facebook page was brand new in 2000. I believe it was 13. And they were hosting a contest. Some of the lenders were sponsoring people to go to a Mortgage Professionals Canada, which back then was camp. And I won one of the five spots. 
I hadn't been to a conference before. So I went to the conference. I won it. It was in Ottawa. It was awesome. And it changed my entire career. That was in November. And the next year, my business tripled because for me, that fed my soul. I had been living on a little island all by myself. You know, there was other mortgage brokers on my team, but we weren't really team players. I went there. I saw what the industry could be. I saw you know, the leader speaking and it just, I don't, I don't miss the conference. I don't miss it when it comes because I go to all. Yeah. All right. You don't, you always attend. Yeah. I don't miss <laughs> it. Yeah. I just could care less now. I know what you're saying. No, I mean, oh. I know my, my wording on that was horrible. No, I love going to the conference for me. It totally sets my whole year. It gets my mindset going. It gets my motivation going, being around like-minded peers, knowing more about the industry. 100% just that was the year that it took off. So I, have to say that would be women. Women in the mortgage industries held this contest. Yeah. Woo woo! I want to take Hallie it. and uh, you know Hallie. It was all Hallie, right? Yeah, it's Hallie's and Mike fault. Cameron. Between those two and making that happen changed. Mike my... Cameron wasn't in Wimmy though. Was he in there? You know what? He was honorary, right? Oh, okay, he... I didn't know he was in there. Like what? Like yeah. Anyways, no, he's not in there, but he's yeah. definitely honorary. You know, Hallie ran the contest part and changed my life, changed my life. I tripled That's my business cool. the following year and never looked back. What I hear from this is like today, you don't necessarily have to go to a conference because of the new tools we have and the way we can connect, but it's all about the collaboration, right? Like if we think collaboration versus competition, man, your whole world had changed. And I know you're really big on this now, the way that you're wired, you're very much about collaboration and, you know, everybody growing. So, okay, I want to switch gears a little bit. So before we dive into your story, I love to ask about a quote that's had an impact in your life or business. Can you share a quote that's impacted you? I like comparison is the thief of joy by Roosevelt. Oh, that's a good one. I okay. like that one because I, like everybody in the early days, it was like, oh, there's competition and what are they doing? And they're ahead of me and they're bigger than me and all that stuff. You got to put your ego aside. People are here to help you in this industry, collaboration, like you said. And as soon as you get that out of your head, nobody's against each other. I mean, maybe we're against the banks. Maybe there are competition. Yeah. They, they can be the enemy. Are, you know what? And they, they can handle enemy. it. You know that like Royal Bank has more per share. They have $150 approximately of cash per share. And their shares are worse. They literally could buy all their shares with the cash in the bank. And like, they got money. They're doing just fine. So we can go. We're fine. Nothing against Royal Bank. Okay. So how have you applied this idea of comparisons of thief of joy to your life or business? So I would say definitely to my business, I choose to not just look at what other people are doing, but if I have a marketing idea and it's different or I haven't seen it before, I go for it because, you know, I've done different marketing ideas to get out in the community. I've hosted yard sales, hosted galas for kids. We've hosted virtual paint nights, euchre nights. Oh, I miss euchre nights in person. That was always a big turnout. So kind of that comparison thing of, well, that's not the normal in the industry. I don't want to go have a coffee date. Doesn't right. it interest me? Rather yeah, I, I like to do something. Right? It's kind of like they say shoulder to shoulder, right? Like you're doing stuff together. Or I remember playing euchre all the time in high school. We'd like skip class. Like, I don't know if I can remember how to play it now. Probably could figure it out again. But like, yeah, so I think I'm wired the same way. Okay, so let me ask you this. Being in the business as long as you have and, you know, failure happens. But looking back, there's always a lesson. So can you share something you failed at now? But you're like, ah, there's a good thing in this failure. I spent a ton of time in the early years trying to network. And it was very buckshot networking, I like to say that, where you're into every single thing. The problem with that is sometimes you're seeing the exact same people all the time, or you're seeing different people and never making connections. So for me, 
that large scale networking was a waste of money and a waste of time for me. I'd rather have had smaller, better, tighter connections, build my circle, find my tribe who support me, who I support them, and together we get better. So I would say I, I wasted so much time out of the office and so much money going to all these networking things that I didn't want to even be at didn't work for me. So yeah, if I could take that back, I probably would have been here a lot faster. Right. You would have got more focused on it. So give me an example of something that for you is more of a narrow focused activity versus like this buckshot networking. So what's something specifically that you've found to be helpful for you? I personally like doing events. So I rather, instead of going to all these networking events, I rather host something and maybe drive some traffic to it. We have a local casino, again, pre-COVID, we hosted a, an event where they could come, you could come, it was open to the public or circle of like, realtor partners. And for your ticket, you got dinner and you got money for the casino. But it was a nice social fun thing. I had clients show up, I had realtors show up. I like doing that. So my focus would have been more events. Instead of going to events that I had no control over, I would have done more things like that. And there's always a charity component when I host an event so that there's some give back, uh -huh. whether it's a large scale yard sales, we always have a charity component going back to that. So that's what I'd say. My focus would have been more on events. Right. Yeah. I like that too. It has a purpose then. Okay. So for you, what's been the single biggest change you've made to your mortgage business in the last 12 months? So it's all this at home work. So I have a storefront and I have staff and we're all at home. I like it. I like being at home, but it was a huge adjustment on systems. I wasn't very strong on my systems, right? We were paper files. We were still paper files so that we could literally, I could write my notes on it and then hand it to the next person. So that's the biggest thing is stepping up online, more Zoom, things like that. I don't know if that's the last 12 months or the last, you know, 20, but that's in the range. But yeah, but you're basically been making that. Okay. And for you, what's been your biggest challenge? I mean, you've grown your business. We were chatting like, you know, over the last three years, every year it keeps going up and you're doing fantastic. But what's been your biggest challenge, do you think, for your business in the last 12 months? Biggest challenge in my business last 12 months is I didn't have a no list until this year. So mm. I would sit down and rack my brain around a file that I did not have the expertise to do. And I would bug every BDM under the sun trying to get an answer on a file that I didn't even enjoy doing to the point that it was just a waste of my time, waste of their time. Did the deals close? Yes. Did I enjoy it and have any joy in it? No. Did it suck my soul? Yes. <laughs> so I absolutely would say my biggest challenge was I didn't have a no list. I had a funding volume target in mind. And for some reason, I was super laser focused on it. So I didn't turn anything down and I should have fired some people. Mm -hmm. Not fired. I should have co-brokered way more than I did. So, so going give me an example of something that you put on your no-go list since having this discovery. I know some people love these deals, large scale investors, not my thing. If somebody comes to me and they have like eight properties and some agents go, Ooh, that's like eight potential mortgages. All I think is, Oh my God, I gotta do a rental worksheet. I don't want to do right. a rental worksheet. <laughs> so that's one. That's one. I love private though. I do love private. I love alternative investors are definitely not my forte. Well, especially yeah. the, like the one property investors are different than the like, you know, oh, I love them. Yeah. I love helping people build their portfolio, refinance their They get to a place where it's pretty hard as a mortgage broker, at least where we are, to have like really great solutions. And it gets, you know, it's not for everybody. I agree with you. Is there anything else that's on your no list? So some self-builds would definitely be there. I spent a lot of time on a self-build last year that was just a headache, you know, one after the other, trying to get that done. And I've done self-builds. That's fine. 
but I think the clients need to be a little bit more educated on it than somebody who's just like, I'm going to build a cottage. Help me do that. So that's on my no list now. <laughs> that's not right, really okay. active to me. And okay, let me ask you this question. So how do you say no nicely? So let's say I'm a client and I come to you and I'm like, hey, what does it look like for you to say to me, Scott, sorry, you have too many rental properties. You suck. I never yeah. say no. I never, ever say no in that so how sense. Do you, okay, then how do you I never say, say no I if I say no? I have a business partner that specializes in this. And then I find somebody in my network because I have a large enough network of other brokers and you're just like, hey, who's strong in this? Who's located in Nova Scotia? I handed off two referrals this week to Calgary because I was like, I could go through my head office, the CUU and do an out of province, but I'd rather help another agent build the relationship. So it's right. always, it's never no, because you never want to tell clients no in that sense. You want them to think that you're the person who knows everybody. Call me first is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I think that's really good advice, actually. And I know some other brokers who've had significant improvements in their business by now taking on the files that you're just not well suited for. Another area that you're very clever at marketing. I know that I've known this about you for a long time. You've got a very good marketing brain. And so what would be your best advice for a mortgage broker when it comes to marketing? I mean, it's a very general question, but I'm going to let you kind of see what kind of that goes. So I'm just curious. Well, they say if content is king, then consistency is queen. So it's just having stuff out there. I think with marketing, you've got to be personable and it does not need to be about mortgages all the time. There's so much more content that we have than just talking about rates or products. When somebody owns a home, you can talk about home repairs. You can talk about organizing the home. You can talk about finances, savings, getting their insurance in place. You know, what's a will? There's so much content. Don't think mortgages. Think everything so that if the post that you put out doesn't resonate with somebody because their mortgage isn't due right now, they can still think of you as somebody who's super financially intelligent and a good resource for them. Right. You know, I was talking to Vince from Al Mortgage. He used to have, you know, Monster Mortgage. And he was talking with the exact same thing. He's like, you don't talk about the mortgage. Like, talk about what the people want. Do they want this done, that done? But the actual technical mortgage, so we think it's exciting and interesting. Clients are like, I don't care about that. Like, it'd be like a life insurance agent coming on and talking about, check out the premiums on this baby. It's like, <laughs> I don't care, man. Like, you know, that's not sexy. But help them solve their problems. And I love that idea of consistency as queen. How have I never heard this before? Content is king, consistency is queen. I um, kind of made it up, but yeah, I, that's probably I heard, I heard, it. I'm I like, heard it somewhere and I kind of made it up. I don't know if it was stolen yeah. or not. I don't know. I, people I haven't heard it. So for me, I just wrote that down. I'm like, oh, underline that. I love anything that has like an alliteration or a, it's memorable. So, okay. I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions. Now you can answer shorter answers. So what's one thing we can't find out about you from Google? Under pen name, I am published author of Young Adult and Romance. And I'm not telling you the pen name, but I have okay. seven novels out. Nice. That's awesome. And then what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Okay, I'm a huge Disney fan and I do have a nine-year-old daughter. I'm going to say the brand new Encanto is fantastic. It takes place in Columbia. It's got a really good message. If you're an adult without kids, you might not, you know, love it sitting down for a cartoon, but I love it. I love that movie. Right. I think One I of think my favorite Disney movies is Megamind, good. actually. It's a, it's not Disney, but I love that guy, you know, and I literally know every line in that movie. I drive my kids nuts. Okay, so what are three software programs or digital tools you can't run your business without? Cannot run your business without Canva. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, you should outsource if you're large enough, get somebody else to do your stuff. But in the meantime, easy peasy Canva. Text expander. Save yourself a ton of time by doing shortcuts on large chunks of text that you use all the time. <laughs> and a newer program that a lot of people don't know of, I personally love Infinity. It is what's saving us as a team to be able to work from home. It's a program that allows you, it's like a really elite Excel sheet. 
more impressive than Google Docs. And I can assign clients to different mm. people. So at it's any called time, Infinity. Infinity. Yeah, um, I know, that's what I've never heard of before. Love it. Okay, what's one book you recommend for our listeners? So <laughs> if you have a team. What's one of the books that's maybe under your pen name? Just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on. I won't tell anybody, <laughs> just everybody listening. But if you have a team and you're looking at building your culture, I would say the Disney way. Again, I'm a Disney fan, but the culture of the Disney company, I really like how they piece it apart right. uh, so that everybody's important in the business. So I really like that. And then a recent book that I'm just getting into is the Everyday Hero Manifesto by Robin Sharma. So I don't have a full review on that one yet, but I'll let you know in a week. Okay, awesome. Two. And then if you're in an elevator, you're the ideal client in 30 seconds, how do you explain what you do? I help find financial solutions that make sense. It's not always just about the mortgage. It's the whole picture, right? I help people find financial solutions that make sense for them, both now in their current situation and their future needs. A lot of my clients, I know this is going over 30 seconds, but a lot of my clients, what I try to deal with is, do they have life insurance? Do they have a will? And getting all those little components set up at the same time. RESPs, you know, lots of people with kids don't have that set up, but if we're gonna clean up your budget, we're gonna give you a whole bunch of cash flow back, why wouldn't we be looking at that too? Right. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So remember the movie Back to the Future? If I put you in that car, send you back your first day as a mortgage broker before you got into that office and stuff and you could give yourself three pieces of advice, what would you tell yourself? Make a no-go list. <laughs> it took me 13 years to figure this out. Make the list of what you're not great at and find somebody who is great at it and act like they're a part of your team. Right. So right. hand that stuff off. Second thing is find your tribe and grow together. I really think you have to find like-minded business people in your immediate area, or now it's all social media that you can have real conversations with and real struggles. And you can tell them when you're having a down day and you can celebrate your wins together. And the other one is invest in your business right off the hop. If you're a brand new agent in this industry, let's be honest, and Dustin says this all the time, this is a low bar industry to get into. It's a low cost, it's a low education to get into, like it's not that hard to do the course. So you should be investing in education and a coach. And you're never too early in the business to have a coach. Because a coach is that eagle eye looking down on your business, helping yeah. you grow and seeing the plan before you even see it. Right. And just say so coach from the start. Yeah. Okay. Where can people find you online? Mortgagesindurham.com or Sherry Corbett on LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. So come find me. Friend okay. me. And it'll be in the show notes as well. So Sherry, been awesome to chat with you. I love your enthusiasm and energy and, you know, great job on creating that no-go list. And you grow. Hey, interestingly enough, saying no allows you to focus on the clients you can really help. It's counterintuitive, but it does work. Mindset. Yeah. Mindset's right? 100%. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks. Bye, Scott. All right. Thanks again for having a listen to that conversation with Sherry. Absolutely love her and her energy. In fact, something we talked about that didn't come up in this episode is something that she does called a social media audit. And it's something that she does for mortgage brokers. She's very good at this. And so if something you're interested in, go to 10loadsamonth.com and you can find out some info on that whole idea of getting your social media audited because most people need to clean that up. And in this next conversation, I'm talking to Reuven from Deeded about the importance of a really great closing. Check it out. Hey, Reuven, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me again. So, hey, today let's chat about why a great closing matters. And, you know, as a mortgage broker, why do I care if, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but some people think this way. Why do I care if it goes well at the lawyer's office or with the lawyer signing? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I would think about 
you know, the closing or the closing experience as a personal extension of your brand, right? You work hard to prospect, to put a deal together, bring it across the line for approval. And a lot of times you'll find, you know, there's a lot of variables, obviously, that we all can't control. But at the end of the day, what clients will remember and what resonates, and this is scientifically proven, there's been numerous studies that clients do remember their last bit of an experience, that last mile really matters tremendously. It's almost like, you know, you're going to a five-star restaurant and the meal's amazing, but then you get the bill at the end of the day and there's an extra bottle of wine on there. And of course, you know, everything that you've just had from an experience perspective, the great food, the great service, the ambiance, everything's out the window. The only thing you'll remember is how you potentially got stiffed on the bill. So I would right. say closing is very much the same and, and it does reflect on your brand. And when things go well, it reflects well on your brand. When things don't go well, obviously it reflects negatively on your brand and can impact your ability to get referrals, get repeat business and really you know, grow your business overall. Right. And back to that, you're talking about the study. So there's something called the peak end rule, which we don't remember things in entirety. You go on a ski trip, whatever. It's not like you remember the whole thing. You remember the peak which was the highest moment of elation and you remember the end. And so if somebody's doing a mortgage with you, they're going to remember the peak probably when they get approved or maybe there's a point in there where it's like, Hey, I believe that's kind of the peak. And then they're going to remember the end. And so if you're not managing the end, it's not done just because you've got the commitment signed and it's sent off to the lawyer's office. That's not finished because when things go wrong and I've been in the business long enough to know when they do, what happens is everybody points a finger, everybody else says, whose fault is it? And like lawyers pointing at the lender, you know, pointing at the broker, who freaking cares? Like at the end of the day, I love what's his name, Boris Bozik said, it's may not be my fault, but it's my problem. And right. so this is what happens when things don't go well, because you don't have a good experience in the back end and why it's important to manage it. A, pick partners that are good, that understand, that aren't going to go to the, like, I've seen this happen when, you know, you're in the Facebook group with 7,500 Canadian mortgage brokers. Hey, the lawyer's asking why I'm giving him this rate is like, what's the flip? Like, I'm not giving legal advice, but why is the lawyer giving mortgage advice? They don't know the client situation, right? Like they don't know about the nuances of it. And so then it creates doubt in the customer's mind. The customer now thinks... Can I trust my mortgage broker? Did my mortgage broker screw me? Everything else went great. And now I'm a little bit like, mm, just like you talked about with the bill thing, I feel like maybe I got screwed and it's kind of too late for me to do anything about it because I got a sign because this has to close. And so if you have good partners that understand that they have their lane and you have your lane and you communicate well, then that stuff doesn't happen, right? Yeah. So and, and I think just to add to that, Scott, that's a really, really great point. You know, clients hire us all for an outcome, right? At the end of the day, they look to you as their broker to get them to that finish line, which means I got my keys or I got my money from a refi in my bank account. So that's yep. the last mile. So at the end of the day, the accountability in a borrower's eyes always falls back on that first party, that broker that they're dealing with, because that's what they're seeking in their mind. They're seeking an outcome. They're not just seeking you to, you know, be part of the process and then be able to hand it off. Although that may be the case, you know, in the back end. And, and there's, as we know, yep. multiple parties involved and in, in variables, it's managing that process and experience that really becomes critical. Yeah. And so there's two kind of thoughts here. So you can say, Hey, I'm going to just let the person pick themselves, which then you're going to run into situations where you're going to get bad service. They're going to give them contradictory advice. You can run into that, or you can, you know, help control the process or guide them because at the end of the day, they still think it's you. They still believe that you are the one who put me here, you know? And so if you are going to guide them, then make sure you guide them to a partner that it's actually going to do a good job of it. So what are the sort of thoughts do you have on this making a great closing? Yeah. And also I think definitely 
you know, do your best to have, you know, the right partners by your side. And when I say the word partner, and when you said partner earlier, I truly mean the emphasis of a partnership here. The one thing that I hear a lot is, you know, vendor or things like that. And, you know, I think categorizing somebody as a vendor is a very, very different outcome than having a partner. Because truly, as we all know, for a deal to happen and for a great consumer experience to happen at the end of the day, where you've got, you know, not only a satisfied client, but you've got, you know, potentially a raving fan that's going to go out and write you that five-star Google review that's going to tell their friends and family, that's going to share your name across their network, that's going to come back to you for, you know, the next five, 10 deals. You really need the right level of resources and partners, be it your lawyer, be it your lender, be it your BDMs. It really is a collaborative sport at the end of the day. And I think those that understand that power of collaboration when everybody contributes to the piece of the puzzle in a partnership sort of way is an extremely powerful concept and is a key to success. Yeah, absolutely. Because you should think of your lenders as partners, not as like, you know, just widget providers. So can you give me an example of like how you guys, you know, what's been a little crazy over the holidays, how you guys were able to like kind of by having a great process and partnering with a broker, able to help somebody out during, you know, a typically a very difficult time to get documents and stuff signed. Yeah, for sure. So funny enough, we had a deal come in on, I believe it was like the 17th or the 18th of December, just prior to Christmas Eve. And as we all know, this year, holidays and bank holidays kind of fell on some funny dates. So it's a little bit uh, mm-hmm. difficult to navigate. But long story short, that particular borrower was having trouble in getting their deal closed. I think the folks that were working on it before really couldn't get to it until uh, mid-January. And that particular borrower absolutely needed to close by Christmas Eve. And that was their final drop dead date to get the deal funded. We got the deal, as I mentioned, on the 17th or 18th. Our process and our technology is really repeatable and scalable. So we're able to get everything done, work with the lender to get the mortgage instructions, client signed the next day. And just literally hours before Christmas Eve, those funds were in that client's account, got an amazing review from the broker, got an amazing review from the client. And of course, you know, it's to me, the most fulfilling part is making somebody's Christmas wishes come true, which we were able to do in that case. Well, they got their money before Christmas. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things with this whole idea of peak end rule, you know, it says it's important to end on a high note. And researchers have found that when people open presents from kind of worst to best, they have a better experience than they do the other way around. You know, hopefully as a mortgage broker, you've got a great experience throughout it. But if, if you do want to engineer things to create a great end experience for the client, because it's going to affect how they remember you. Because, you know, the reason we do this apparently is evolutionary. Our brains would explode to hold all our memories. So we take peak moments and we take end moments. And that's how we synthesize our experience with somebody. So by making sure you have a great closing matters, you're going to end up having a more happy clients. If you selected good partners at the end of the day is what I think it comes down to. Any other kind of thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I think you pretty much uh, captured it all. It's really orchestrating that customer journey, having the right partners at the table, and always being able to look at how can you improve and tweak your business and really look at it from a customer's or borrower's perspective in terms of what are the friction points, where they are experiencing, because if you really apply that peak end rule, and even so much as you look at yourself and any experience you might've had, whether you went on holidays or anything like that, just think about what you remember. And I'm sure you'll see that applies. And once you'll start applying that to your business, it's a very powerful concept. Yeah, it's very good. Okay. So if you guys are listening to this, go check out Ruben's company, Dita.ca. You guys are growing like crazy and still like doing amazing because of your technology and team. You do a fantastic service. Check out Dita.ca slash ILMB. And Ruben, thanks again for coming to chat with me. Thanks again for having me, Scott. 
All right. Thanks again for joining me today, chatting with Sherry about just her whole journey in the mortgage business, saying no to grow, talking to Reuven from Deeded on why the closing experience absolutely matters and it reflects on you. If you're listening to this right now and you're a mortgage broker and you're like, huh, you know, how do I grow my business? So we've got an academy called 10 Loans a Month. If you go there, it's 10loansamonth.com with the number 10. We only open it a few times a year. All of our coaches are experienced, successful mortgage brokers who are running great businesses, but they coach on a particular topic or outcome. And go check that out, 10loansamonth.com. You can get on the wait list. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.